Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a passion for making others in this world healthier. Really super excited today to have Eric Severson on the show. Eric is the Chief People Officer at DaVita. And uh, he has a really interesting perspective from the from a people process perspective, uh, you know, variety of companies he's been with. And this is a topic on the show we wanted to go deeper on. Um, but I won't steal his thunder. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. And it's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Anthony. I really look forward to the conversation. Thanks so much, Eric. Yeah, no, this is this is great. And, you know, um, obviously, you know, you've listened to the show and you, you're familiar with the story format. Uh, most important part is origin stories. And we love to hear about, you know, I would love to hear about your origin story. How did you get started? How did you get into the space that you're in? Sure. It's non-traditional. So I grew up on a farm in rural Pennsylvania and a big part of my early life was caring for animals, horses, pigs, uh, etc. And I had made it my determination to be a veterinarian because I was really interested in how you could use science uh, not only to help animals be well, but actually to get better performance out of animals because I also coached children on show jumping. And to make a long story short, after interning at a vet's office and discovering that it was a lot bloodier and sadder <laughs> than I expected, I turned my attention more to human development and ended up in business. And when I got into business, I figured out that the part of the business that was really focused on helping people reach their full potential was what was at the time personnel emerged into human resources and now we tend to refer to it as people operations or people services. We call it people services here at Davida. So that's how I ended up in this part of the business. And I spent the last nearly 30 years focused on how in businesses you can create a virtuous ecosystem where all of the stakeholders involved, the shareholders, the customers or patients and the teammates can be better and better off because of their interaction together. Super, super interesting background, and and you know it's a blessing that you've been you know led into this space and you know to focus on on people, um, and and um, whether it's people services, Eric, or just you know managing people or people processes. What have you found to be the difference that makes a difference, like with dealing with people? and um, all the different constituents out there. Maybe you can share some of your mindsets and philosophies of what you've seen that makes a really good people service you know, process. Sure. I think it starts with viewing human processes as a virtuous cycle rather than a zero-sum game. So traditionally in business, there's uh, an assumption that any investment you make in the core business is subtracted from what you can invest in people and vice versa. So anything you invest in people somehow takes away from your product or your service environment. And that does not have to be true. So kind of my mantra my whole career has been, how might I help a business that exists to provide financial well-being for the stakeholders like shareholders? And I'm always reminded shareholders are not just some 
you know, incredibly rich people somewhere. It's every one of us who has a 401k account relies on appreciation in the market for our financial well-being and our future. So we have an obligation if you're a public company to your shareholders to help them create financial well-being for their investment. And how do you do that through creating teammates who contribute more and more value financially and otherwise? And so my contribution to that as the chief people officer is to help the leaders of the business define strategies and operations that operationalize the focus on teammate well-being. So many, many, many years ago, Sears became famous for um, publishing its service profit chain concept, which was that when you invest in the well-being and the development of teammates, that translates to customer well-being, which translates to P&L thriving, and it's been well-validated over time. And so simply, my job is just about how do I help the business continually find ways that our teammates here can say, I am better as a person. I am a better teammate. I am a better parent. I am a better spouse because of things I learned at DeVita. Teammates who will say that uh, it's well-established are, they contribute more discretionary effort, uh, they stay longer, and they provide better service to your patients or your customers. Super, super interesting science um, there. And, and you, you hit upon some interesting themes of, you know, contribution, benefits, well-being, uh, correlation to, you know, great well-being and health outcomes and productivity and, and, and profitability. But um, on some of these things, or maybe outside of them, what, what are some other themes in, in health or well-being that have you passionate today? And maybe you can go deeper on a few elements that, that have you passionate these days. You bet. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of start with with um, three, and they're progressive for me. There's one that I think is well established today, and we're very focused on it here at Davida, and that's integrated health and well-being. Second is uh, predictive health, so it's using big data and advanced analytics to help avoid catastrophic health events. And which creates well-being both financially for organizations as well as for patients and individuals. And that's starting, but a little bit more in the future. And then finally, I think it's farther out, establishing what the mind-body connection is and really focusing many more resources, time and effort on healthy minds, which leads to healthy bodies. So I'd start with integrated health and say that I think this is a concept that's pretty well established, however, not ubiquitous. Um, and, and as a, an organization that provides dialysis care to patients in a number of countries around the world and is the largest dialysis provider in the U.S., we're very focused and have been for many years on how we can, ex we can provide integrated care for our patients and have had a number of initiatives over the years to do so in partnership with uh, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and others producing really substantially positive and statistically significant healthcare outcomes for patients. And it's basically the idea that if a patient is going to come and sit with you as ours do generally three times a week, four hours at a session, it's the opportunity to, to be able to treat that patient as a whole person and everything she might be presenting and all comorbidities, whether it might be 
uh, cardiac disease or diabetes or hypertension, et cetera. And the data is well established that, that integrated approaches to medicine as opposed to segregated ones tend to produce better outcomes. And we take the same approach with our teammates. So increasingly, we've been investing over the years in ways that we can help teammates be well in mind, body, spirit, and emotions. And it shows up in a lot of different programs. So for example, we have a program called Village Vitality, where our teammates can actually reduce their medical premiums simply by engaging in healthy preventative behaviors like screenings, et cetera. We have a program we've been running for 10 years called Match the Mayor, where our CEO, who, uh, as you may be familiar with in DeVita, we call ourselves the village and our CEO is our mayor. And mm -hmm. uh, the mayor leads every year a well-being challenge and teammates can participate in any way that's meaningful. It could be a meditation challenge. It can be a physical exercise challenge. It can be a nutrition challenge. And teammates uh, engage through an app where we're all encouraging each other to reach our goals and we track steps. Uh, in, the, in the many millions of steps uh, to achieve goals of well-being in the village. And what's important about that program is it, it is a good example of how leadership sponsorship of health and well-being is important to create well-being outcomes in organizations like ours. So there are, there are many other things like that. We're in the middle of testing an app right now called Zapongo that will help teammates make smarter eating choices and there, there are many additional things, but I think the, the point of the conversation is that organizations and in general and organizations in particular who are providers of medical benefits have a lot of influence in teammates' lives and can use that for the positive by providing many different avenues for different people with different life choices to mm -hmm. change their habits of living in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, super exciting and very like innovative and, and creative in the not just the execution of, you know, the integrated and mind body spirit connection and, and the, the predictive components you're, you're doing for your people and for obviously for your clients. Um, you know, uh, and so you definitely feel like it feels like you're on the forefront of a lot of, uh, you know, employer well-being uh, dimensions. We have a lot of listeners that are like chief uh, you know, employee experience officers, chief people officers, chief human resource officers, head of benefits. If you if you were talking to those people directly and they may have struggles in, you know, taking their employer well-being programs to the next level, you know, what are some what are some pieces of advice or mindsets that you would do? I think you've touched on a few of those already, but what are what are some other prescriptive things that you would you would want to uncover in giving advice to others that are really taking trying to take their uh, their programs to the next level? I would invest in getting a deep understanding of root cause, and by that I mean the root cause of lack of well being in your workforce and root cause of well being, and that means harnessing in today's world the power of predictive diagnostics and predictive analytics. So in DeVita, we accomplish that a number of ways. So one is through our partnership with an outside consultant who helps us look at all of our claims data. And, and so we're self-insured like most large companies. And um, we manage close to half a billion dollars of risk a year. And inside 
that risk number is a whole lot of data points about all the people who've had claims of any sort from prescriptions to hospital visits to doctor visits that we can't look at on an individual basis. That's private health information. However, as big data that's anonymized, third parties can help us understand ways that we can help teammates make better decisions that are better for them and better for the whole DeVita village from a financial perspective. Because one of the things that's true about teammate well-being and, and health within companies who provide medical benefits is that most of the time, in almost all cases, reducing costs overall by reducing claims is not only good for the bottom line of the company, it's good for teammates because cl high claim costs equate to bad outcomes. So the, the, the largest claims in a, a, a medical, uh, in a medical claims profile are from serious things like heart attacks and incidences of cancer, et cetera. And that's, teammates don't want that and we don't want that. So by reducing those, it's, it's good for the whole system and predictive analytics allow you to look at big data sets and figure out, are there indicators that someone could be becoming sick where you can alert them earlier and intervene at a point where the treatment options are more favorable, where they could head off a heart attack, where they could head off development of full diabetes. And I would just say just as an example for myself, I entered a program 10 years ago that screened a number of different kinds of age-related disease management factors and discovered that I was developing diabetes and had no idea. I didn't show up in any regular screening that I was doing. As a result, um, have managed to, to hold it at bay and, and never fully move 100% uh, from high blood sugar into full-on diabetes. And I am confident that that would not have happened, but for that intervention. So I'm a big believer in using the power of analytics to be able to help people become healthier earlier before they encounter, you know, a serious health crisis. So I would, mm -hmm. my answer is, is if you're not really knowledgeable about big data and advanced analytics, it's not that hard to get knowledgeable, listen to podcasts, read articles, make some demo appointments with vendors. We, we work with vendors who help us identify opportunities. Uh, one of them, for example, called eVive, not only helps us identify trends in the data that we can use to help teammates change their behavior, but it also will personalize messaging directed to specific teammates based on their use of healthcare to help them make better decisions. So for example, it will the app can potentially know, for instance, if somebody's developing a certain condition, we won't know, but the app can know, and it can provide them with marketing communication to let them know about programs that will benefit them. So if someone is, for example, um, potentially going to become a new mother, it can let her know about the half a dozen different programs we have, our Well Baby program, our Little Star program for new mothers, et cetera, et cetera, that will benefit them. Super, super interesting. So yeah, congratulations on, on the success of like implementing, um, you know, there's so many like CPOs or chief of people officers in so many different companies that, that know, you know, you need to get deeper on the claims and, and analyze them and apply, apply predictions and programming. Um, I guess for, for, for those out there that, 
you know, are able to get leadership involvement, right? And so you have the mayor and village concept. So let's just say, you know, other chief people officers can get that level of engagement with the leadership, the support, they're, they're analyzing their claims, and maybe they have some inklings of predictions on where the claims are coming from. When it comes to taking action and programming, you guys have some really cool, innovative programs. Um, some would say there's still like humanity that gets in the way. So like, how do you get employees to engage in all these programs, understand them and, you know, nudge them to do the right things in the right time. And, um, obviously, I mean, you and I know that, that, you know, in this, in this space, um, there's step programs, there's gamification, there's rewards. What are some other like, you know, differences that make the difference you've seen in employer well-being programming? Okay. Um, one I would say is really getting knowledgeable about evidence-based change programs. So there are countless apps you can buy to help your workforce change behavior, but unless your teammates are really motivated to adopt them, it's not going to make any difference. So increasingly, there are some evidence-based programs that go beyond just information and knowledge and gamification to more high-touch management. So for example, we have a program called OMADA for teammates who, through biometrics, have identified high blood sugar and a risk for diabetes. And what OMADA does is a combination of a cohort, cohort approach where teammates are in a team with other teammates, uh, with a coach for a multi-week program, and there's measurement. So, so essentially, research has shown that when someone has a health condition and you combine giving them continuous access to how they're doing, in other words, like data on their phone that shows, ah, you lost two pounds this week or your blood sugar improved by five points, people are more likely to stick with it. It's also proven that when people go through that program in a cohort with others, they do better when they're on their own. Thirdly, that when they have a real human coach and not simply an app, they do better. So it's a combination of things that for us has yielded very specific uh, and statistically significant quantitative improvement in outcomes for participants that obviously improves those those teammates' lives. They they lose weight. They um, don't progress in their blood sugar elevation. And for us, that means that we're improving our overall claims costs so that we can redirect money towards prevention and other things instead of high cost uh, treatment claims. So I think that's just a good example. It's doing your homework on what's evidence-based, not just what's well-marketed. Right, right. No, it's super interesting. Yeah, very familiar with Omada. And, uh, you know, I've met, I've met the CEO a couple of times, really big fan of what they're doing. And uh, now it's su super exciting, you know, to hear about the programming that you guys are doing, but, but most importantly, the formula and how you're putting this recipe together and and getting your leadership to champion think, it as well. And so the other I, thing I, really I would add, Anthony, to that as advice would be um, to really experiment with performance guarantees in your mm -hmm. contracts with providers. So mm -hmm. we increasingly are using performance guarantees in well-being related contracts to, to say, all right, in order for you to get your full fee for us, for your service, your app, our our population, our target population must achieve these health outcomes or this claims cost mm -hmm. reduction. So they must see an overall reduction in blood sugar of X or in weight of, of Y, or 
we it must uh, cover a whatever a half a million dollar claims cost reduction or something like that. And the, the value of that is that you're making sure you're you're using products and services that work, and it puts the pressure on the provider to make sure they work and on yourself. Mm. Which mm-hmm. is really important. You you don't want to waste your teammates' times with things that are have really lots of bells and whistles, but aren't going to really help them with health. Yeah, that's interesting on the performance level. Uh, what about participation and engagement? Do you do you you know tell your vendors you know hey year one we need to see because obviously if the the, the yes. funnel at the top isn't full, it's you know improving outcomes on just you know five percent of Davida uh, employees isn't going to maybe move the needle too much. But do you? What would you? What would you? What are some reasonable expectations for a vendor that is, is supplying, you know, health engagement in terms of participation or engagement expectations that one should consider? It's hard to give you an average because it will vary based on the type of application and the population you're targeting. What I would say is good performance guarantee targets include engagement rate, uh, mm-hmm. biometric improvement, cost reduction. Uh, and then you would set the targets based on usually on on, on experience, right? So, uh, how many people are in the population you're targeting, uh, based on other programs you've had that are similar? What kind of participation rate did you get? Do you have reason to expect you'll get more? It's not an exact science, but what you can do is improve it. You know what we generally do is uh, we might ask for improvements in year two and year three of the contract that are incremental. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, this is super key, and uh, this is great, Eric. I think you've given some really good boundary lines of things to consider strategically for for anyone that that you know is responsible for well being processes within people services and in, in their their companies. So these are some good dimensions for us to you know that you've given us here. Um, let me ask you a little bit about um, the future. Tell us your vision of the future, and when it comes to you know, people, services, well-being. Um, what has you excited about this space? Um, maybe even some things that you believe that haven't been proven yet or some would think are are crazy. So just love to hear your vision of the future. I'm really excited about the potential in mind-body connection. And a lot of people say, well, we all know that there is one, etc." And I would agree with that. And I would say that is not at all baked into how we manage health, how we incentivize health, how we pay for health. Um, And what's becoming increasingly clear is that that most of the major medical conditions that drive most of the suffering and most of the cost in organizations and more broadly in society are outcomes of psychological uh, psychological and, and treatable psychological um, impairments or, or ailments. So for example, mm-hmm. typically in, in many companies, and it's true for us as well, our, our top, um, top claims, top high cost claims uh, come from you know, obesity, they come from mental health and they come from osteo-related things. And so mm-hmm. uh, in, in many of those, there's a mind-body connection. So the very high incidence um, of depression and anxiety broadly in the culture. And it's well established that those two conditions alone 
have a significant impact on the progression of heart disease and diabetes, for example. And and so what I don't think is, is well established yet, and I, I would like to see much more rigorous work done on it is what that connection is and how you design health plans to better treat those underlying conditions that accelerate the progression of the physical disease. So I think Mm -hmm. we're starting to see a lot of applications, a lot of programs trying to get at the problem, but systemically, I don't think it's well established yet. Right, right. Amen. Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting. Um, Yeah, I agree with you totally. you know, I, I started my career off working for a managemental healthcare company and got to see from a data perspective very early on, you know, that connection of the, the, the mind and the body. It all starts with the mind. And uh, I can imagine, Eric, you're probably like me, you know, you probably look at a lot of things like mindfulness and meditations and probably even the design around DeVita's campuses on, you know, are there adequate spaces for, you know, breaking away or meditation areas and things like that. But and anything along that those lines, you know, there's 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 calm, there's headspace, there's there's yoga, there's resilience programs, right? Employer well-being programs specifically focused on resilience. Uh, any specific programming elements or environmental things that you're seeing some promise to that that are that maybe if you systematize them, that 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 they could amount to be something. Sure. So, I mean, all the things you mentioned are things that we do. So we. We nice. have programming as part of our wisdom curriculum, we call it here, mm-hmm. uh, that incorporates mindfulness into many of our development programs. At our headquarters locations, we have Zen rooms on every floor where teammates can meditate or conduct other mindfulness practices. It, it's core in many of the things we do. We offer teammates access to applications that have meditation as an offering among other mindfulness practices as part of, I said, Match the Mayor and many other things. It's deep in our culture. And I think that that's important. It sends the right message to teammates that we value that. And I think especially in our business, because the majority of our teammates are caregivers and that's very stressful work at times. And, and I think we're doing all of that. And I would say uh, the structure of how healthcare is provided in the United States is far, far from treating mental health care with parity. And so I think as an employer, you have to do the best you can to make up for that deficit through the kinds of programming we're talking about. And um, you can only get so much done until the system shifts and changes. So what we're asking about the future, that what I hope for the future is that there is some significant legislative and regulatory change that happens in the future to recognize the need to provide more funding and a different structure for how mental health care is provided in the U.S. It's also something that's the least sort of systematized treatment of of mental health. So it's very Mm -hmm. regional. It's very local. You have virtually no sort of national providers of mental health Mm -hmm. services with evidence-based practices. and that's something that's that's aspirational. I worked for or worked on the board of a behavioral health provider for 15 years that specializes in evidence-based treatment of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And what I observed firsthand when I was there is 
the dramatic, the dramatic difference in outcomes. I'm talking about really quantifiable things like hospitalization rates, incarceration rates, for example, of, of those patients who had been through our evidence-based protocol versus the standard protocol. And it really gave me passion about wanting everyone to have access to evidence-based treatment like that, which is not the standard of care in the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eric, it's super, it's super exciting and, you know, definitely appreciate what you're doing. And then, and then obviously being in charge of people services, it obviously seems like you can get a interesting, interesting, you know, voice of the employee as well with other processes to, to understand, you know, the investment you're, you're making in the space, not just, you know, hitting from a claims perspective. So, um, Eric, I could probably talk to you forever, but I want, we always want to give our, our listeners the, the morsel of, of the episode here. So apologies if we're going a few minutes over. Um, but this has been very powerful. I appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, one thing I always do with, you know, is, is, you know, for our listeners out there that want to be able to engage with you or your connect with you, what's a good way for people to connect with you? Sure. I think you, you can reach me, um, at LinkedIn and it's Eric Severson, HR LinkedIn. And, um, I, I look forward to engaging people there in an ongoing conversation on this topic. Great, great. Eric, thank you for being on the show and we'd love to have you back, you know, as you go throughout the year, or, you know, as you implement, you know, continue to, to grow and uh, grow your programs and what you're doing. Love, love to always hear about, you know, obviously what you're working on. Uh, so thank you for being on the show, Eric. Thanks so much, Anthony. It's been an honor to participate. Great, great. And to everyone out there, this is the Pop Health Show. Thanks for listening.